Welcome to Twin Talk. This is Joy and I'm here with my sister Angie and today we will be discussing the book True Grit. True Grit tells the story of Maddie Ross, a 14-year-old girl from Arkansas who recruits a one-eyed marshal to help her avenge the murder of her father. So Angie, before we even get started with the book, um, I think we should let the listeners know a little bit about our background and our connection with this book. So, why don't you tell them a little bit about why we already feel a connection with this book before we even start talking about it. Okay, I guess to begin with, I should give a shout out to our friend Brett, because he texted me one day at work and said, hey, why don't you guys do True Grit? And it was kind of one of those coal miner's daughter's moment, you know, where... That's exactly what I was thinking. It was like an epiphany, like, Mm -hmm. oh, hello, that's the perfect book for us because we already know so much about the background. So True Grit is a very well-known book and a very, probably even better-known movie, and it's set in Fort Smith, Arkansas, which is, you know, just down the road from us. Right, it is not even a 20-minute drive from where we are. So when you read through True Grit, as we just did, you know, everything they mentioned, we're like, oh, yeah, I, I know what he's talking about. You know, he mentions Garrison Avenue. Well, I've been down Garrison Avenue a million times. Exactly. Um, Fort Smith, Arkansas, you know, it's known for being, well, they called it hell on the border. You know, mm-hmm. it bordered Indian Territory. Um you know, as kids, most of the schools around here, that was one of your destinations for field trips, as we called them, mm-hmm. was to go to Judge Parker's courtroom and to go to the Hanging Gallows. So this mm-hmm. is all, to us, this is stuff that we've been hearing about since we were little kids. Do you remember, I don't know, we were in grade school, and like you said, we visited the courthouse. Didn't they let us go into that basement jail and look mm-hmm. around? And it, it does seem like they did. It was. It's pretty that, gross. It's pretty. It's, they talk <laughs> about hell on the border. Uh, mm-hmm. They talk about that jail being one of the worst, really horrible conditions. And I remember the ceiling mm-hmm. was low. Okay, it's a basement jail. Mm-hmm. You can literally look out these bars almost at ground level. It smelled. Mm-hmm. It was dank. It was musty. Mm-hmm. And I thought, ooh, I wasn't even yeah. in there five minutes, and I was ready to get out of there. Yeah. It was bad. So people who read the book, when you see these descriptions about the basement jail and the river next to the courthouse and the hanging gallows, it's all true. Yes. Every bit of it's very accurate. Yeah. If you ever get a chance to visit Fort Smith, Arkansas, you definitely have to go see um the hanging judge's courthouse. They have an exact replica there. Uh, they'll give you guided tours. Exact replica of the of the courtroom. Ga- oh, of the yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the original. It's the original, it's the original courtroom, courtroom, but they've yeah. restored it to look exactly like it was at the right. time of uh, Isaac Parker. Yeah. And the the thing that's eerie and creepy but fascinating mm-hmm. is you can go look at the gallows, and they yeah. have, don't they still have the like ropes hanging up there? Yeah, the I believe they've kind of redone the gallows as well, and there's like a an armory there. Of course, it was a fort. You know, it was an actual. Yes. Army for and there's act and you can there's all kinds of history there. You know it's it's a great place to go on a day trip. And there's, yeah. It's, the park there is beautiful. It's called Bell Point Park that overlooks the Arkansas River and it's it's just beautiful. Very pretty. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were like she said we were very familiar with the streets that were named and the cities that were mm-hmm. named. But one thing that I was not familiar with it was the Winding Stair Mountains. They talked mm-hmm. about the the gang was hid out hiding out in the Winding Stair Mountains. Mm-hmm. And that one escaped me. I guess it's, and Poto is another. We, 
a name that's mentioned in the book a lot, but um, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but, and they mention, you know, all the places in Oklahoma we're familiar with as well. McAllister, Oklahoma. Yes. It's, they kept t- talking about McAllister's store. Yes. And then, but they're actually referring to the little settlement that eventually did become McAllister, Oklahoma. Yes, and what we also let, need to let the readers know is we grew up on the Arkansas-Oklahoma border. Mm-hmm. If we, our house had been, I believe, the Oklahoma line was five miles west of our house. Yeah, uh, that's uh, about mo- right. More or less as a crow flies. Yeah. So we are very, very close to being Okies. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. So that's where this book takes place. It's on the Arkansas-Oklahoma border. We mm-hmm. live almost right exactly where this book takes place. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. So there's our connection. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to start off by talking about the author, Charles Portis. And I'll just go ahead and confess before this podcast, I had never read the book, and I had never watched either of the movies based on the book True Grit. And I, I'm oh, kind of like had, you. Oh, you no, had never, I seen, never seen either movie. Oh, okay. It's kind of one of those things where, oh, yeah, I know what it's about. I'm not going to watch it or read it. Be- mm-hmm. Like we said, because we already know so much about Judge Parker, and we already know so much about the background. Of, I just kind of felt like, eh, I already know what the book's about. I guess mm-hmm. I'd heard a little bit about it. So anyway, I read the book now. We're going to talk about both movies in a minute. But I didn't know anything about Charles Portis. What's uh, You did some research on Charles Portis as well, right? I sent her a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. And I just want to do a shout-out. If you are interested in learning more about Charles Portis, there is a YouTube video called The Greatest Writer You've Never Heard Of. It is excellent. And it's his colleagues, his friends, even Dwight Yoakam was oh, on no. there. <laughs> hey, I was kind of, what did you think about Dwight Yoakam? Oh on my that gosh. I don't know about you, but the only thing I knew about Dwight Yoakam was that he had long legs and wears tight jeans and sings country music. Right. And I do or like, Billy <laughs> yeah, and I do like Dwight Yoakam. I like a lot of his music, but I, I had no idea. He is so eloquent and smart, and he's discussing Charles Portis, and you would think you were listening to some professor from a major college or something. I felt like he was some, I was sitting in some literature class in college. I was thinking, give me a (laughs) dictionary. I have to look up half the words he's using. I I was very impressed with Dwight Yoakam. I know. I was like, I want to look up and see if he has a degree from Harvard. I mean, my gosh. I know. He was very intellectual. Yeah. Anyway, um, he was born in El Dorado, Arkansas. So, see, Mm -hmm. now we have a connection with the author as well because Mm -hmm. we're all from Arkansas. And he has been described as one of the most inventively comic writers of Western fiction. Hmm. Did you think this book was funny? Oh, my gosh, yes. It was hilarious. I was not expecting the humor. I would Okay, and let me put this out there as well. I've never read a Western. Well, unless you count Little Big Man. Okay. I guess I count that as a Western. Mm-hmm. But I was not expecting it to be so funny. I did not know that he was known for his humor. Well, and I'll, I'll have to admit this. When I read the book, there were parts of it that I honestly didn't think he meant to be funny. But then when I watched the actual movie and they portrayed it real comically, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, yeah, that was meant to be funny. Right. So it, the movie did help me interpret the book in some way. It did, it did me, too. He's also mm-hmm. been referred to as a genius Hmm. A writer's writer and a modern twain. Hmm. Okay, so when I had not read that before I uh, read the book, and I will say there were many times throughout the book I thought, I almost feel like I'm reading twain. Hmm. Did you ever kind of get that sense? No, but maybe if I had had that in my head, I might have saw some similarities. Well, I I hadn't read anybody that said he was like a modern twain, but Hmm. here's why I think he reminds me of twain, but just in this book. 
because I think because they're both set in similar time periods, mm -hmm. they're both using the authentic language of the day. They're both they both have young uh, protagonists or young main characters mm -hmm. who are on a journey, mm -hmm. and I don't know. I think it's those type things that kept reminding me of uh, Mark Twain. Yeah, he used an unlikely lead character in in using a fourteen year old girl. Yes, yeah. very mm -hmm. unlikely. Mm -hmm. That's what gets me about this story. If you would have told me, oh, it's going to be a U.S. deputy marshal and a Texas ranger, you know, both older men. Well, I think Rooster Cogburn was supposed to be in his 40s, mm -hmm. Labeef, like, maybe in his 30s, Yeah, I think. And then she's 14, and they're all going to go on this uh, journey together, mm -hmm. I would think. Looking uh, for this outlaw. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm thinking, how's that going to work? But, of course, it makes for this great story. Mm -hmm. One thing that's men mentioned about Portis is that they said he he doesn't feel sorry for his characters. Oh, uh, that's funny. and that he and then that. he doesn't try to save them. I think oh. it might have been in the prologue of the actual book. Okay. But I love that because I thought that was so true. He just writes, he doesn't uh, apologize for their actions or make you feel sorry for right. them. He just, you know, like with um Cogburn, with Rooster Cogburn, uh -huh. he just writes him. He's he's a scoundrel and he mm -hmm. writes him for who he is. And he has drunk. he has good qualities <laughs> and he has a lot of bad qualities. Okay, you know? I think you just hit on something that this is why I like this book. Mm -hmm. I hate characters that are mm -hmm. one-dimensional. Yeah. And Rooster Cogburn, he's human being. He's, like you said, he's a scoundrel. He's a drunk. I mean, uh, people said he rode with the, uh, what was the name of the guy that they were supposedly they were murderers? Yeah. And um, I can't think of the name. I'm sorry, say that again. The, he was supposedly rode with the Quattro. Oh, the Quantrell. The Quantrell or, yeah, I didn't game. know what they were talking about. That was just, uh, I guess they were supposedly responsible for this massacre. Oh, okay. Uh, right, I don't mm -hmm. remember if it was right after the Civil War or before it. But anyway, he did not have a good reputation. Mm -hmm. But we see a lot of redeeming qualities in his yeah. character as the book goes on. What I love about the character of Rooster is that... He is a scoundrel. He's a drunk. You know, he's got the one eye. He's seen a lot of fighting and, you know, a lot of turmoil in his life. Mm -hmm. But they'll have these passages where he'll just ramble and ramble on. And, yeah, you know, it's like, like he, when he's drunk. Yeah, he just talks and talks and talks. And I've never seen a movie where they kind of have, you know, he ends up kind of being a hero, mm -hmm. where they actually have them just you know, rattle on and on. I just yeah, where they funny. kind of show his weaknesses, <laughs> yeah. but then in the end, he we see he really is a hero in some ways. Mm -hmm. One other thing about uh, the author, mm -hmm. uh, Charles Portis, mm -hmm. um, many say that he was very private. Some say he's a, re a rec recluse, recluse, tomato, yeah. tomato, I don't know, mm -hmm. and a hermit, but those close to him said, no, he's just private. He's, they said he's really... Very charismatic, very sociable, but he just didn't like to get out much. I think he was just very humble and yes. didn't want to, you know, and that is something in that video. Now, did you mention the name of the video so people can find yes, it? Uh -huh. Oh, you did? The okay. Greatest Writer You Never Heard Of. Oh, okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I missed that. But anyway, in the video, they talk about that, how he he never did um, promote his books right. and he never did you know he didn't do all the things that you're that most writers do they get out there and they do interviews and they and they do book signings right and he didn't do that and they said for that reason other than true grit I believe the other four books he wrote most of them were out of went out of print yes here okay here's why I love mm -hmm. this guy <laughs> he okay he did not like to self-promote he was mm -hmm. not a self-promoter and boy do we live in a day of self-promotion amen and that's what I, it's refreshing he 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 wouldn't get out and do the interviews he wouldn't get out and do the the meet and greets and all that mm -hmm. and and well as a result you know like you said his mm -hmm. books went out of print and finally according to that documentary 
It was like a some. Uh, was he a writer? Was he like a magazine? I didn't know who those people were. I know. Oh. <laughs> I know. One of them they said was a co-worker at one of the magazines. Oh, okay. One of the newspapers. Yeah. And then one was like a childhood friend. But anyway, one of the men said he asked um, Portis if he could interview him, and Portis turned him down, of course, because mm-hmm. like I said, he doesn't give, he, it was very rare for him to give an interview, they said. Mm-hmm. And he said, even though he turned me down, I still made a plea to the publishers and said, these books need to be in print. Yes. There's something wrong with the with the American readership or whatever mm-hmm. if his books aren't in print. Yeah, and they, they say the other four books that he wrote are just as good as True Grit. Yes, so and now, like Dog of the South, and I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. Um, I actually um, wrote them down. Uh, Norwood was his first book, okay. and then Dog of the South. Masters of Atlantis, Southerners, uh, Out of Their Element, and Gringos. Okay. Do you think you'll be reading any of his other books? Um, oh, yeah, definitely. If I can find some time, sure. Me too. That's what I was thinking. They say his other, even though they're all kind of different genre type books, they're still, they're all, they say, they say uh, there's not one book he's written, they say that's not really good. Hey, I'm sorry. I have to correct something. I okay. think I just uh, made a note that he talks, a, a lot of his books are about Southerners, other element, and I accidentally wrote it in my book title. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sorry about that's that. Funny. I just want well, to, when you said that, uh, I, I, I wanted to clarify that. Because I know people are sitting there scratching their well, heads. Well, I knew he really only had five books. <laughs> yeah, so True Grit would have been the one that should have been in there. So I apologize. Oh, as soon as funny. I read that, I thought, no, that's not right. Okay. So I'm sorry about that. That's funny. Um, one thing I did want to point out, that, and I don't know, I just wonder if this was, if you caught this or not. The book was released in 1968. What's going on in the 60s? I mean, in your head, what all's going on in the 60s when this oh, book was released? Oh, I think of Free Love. You know, and just the sexual revolution, yes. you know, and it, everybody's just doing whatever feels good. Okay, and that, and I've had time to think about this, but yeah, mm-hmm. I put, it was the Beatles, Civil Rights Movement, JFK's been assassinated. It was turbulent. I, it was a it turbulent was time. It was turbulent. There, I put peace, love, drugs, <clears throat> sex, and rock and roll, a very, very rocky social and political climate. But my point was, oh, and I want to mention this too. These are some of the most popular books that were released in the 60s, okay? This is mm-hmm. what he's going against, okay? okay? The Godfather. Oh. The Outsiders, which was our first right. podcast. Mm-hmm. Go check it out. <laughs> um, Catch-22, Slaughterhouse-Five, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh. These are some of the uh, most popular books of the 60s and enter True Grit. How polar opposite mm-hmm. of these books... That's why I'm so astonished that this book did so well. This is like the political and social climate. Now I'm trying mm-hmm. to sound like a college professor. <laughs> but um, does that kind of blow your mind? Because yeah. True Grit was so popular mm-hmm. considering the other books that had come out in the 60s. Yeah, and that's what's so refreshing about this book to me is when you read it, it's just a story. Yeah, yes. it's just a story. It's a entertaining. Very simple story. Uh, you know, when you read it, you you don't come away feeling all anxious or you know, this, there's nothing just super thought provoking about it. I know. You know there's what no I mean? great moral. <laughs> I don't think there's no. To me, there's no great moral. Mm-hmm. There's no great earth shattering things. Right. But you can't. Okay, and this I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but you can't forget the characters. Right. To mm-hmm. me, a great book is when I don't want it to end, and mm-hmm. I do not want to say goodbye to the characters. And both of those things happened. I didn't want the book to end. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to say goodbye to the characters. Man, like, and I'm... One of this. the... 
I was going to say, there, one of the quotes I wrote down, and I think it's very fitting at, at this point, mm-hmm. they said, Portis wrote about the fabric of life. He wrote for posterity and not for monetary gain. Oh, <laughs> that almost makes me want to cry. Yeah, so I mean, and that's kind <laughs> that's of what awesome. we're talking about. Is yeah. he wasn't trying to to write the you know the the great American novel because he wanted to be rich. He wrote right. the great American novel, you know, for posterity. Yes, yes, and because mm-hmm. he's just an amazing writer, and I think mm-hmm. this would be a good time to say I love this about him. <laughs> I guess he won some type of lifetime achievement mm-hmm. award from this uh, Southern type magazine. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you wrote down the name of the magazine. I forgot to. But mm-hmm. they said Morgan Freeman won. It was a Southern Arts Lifetime Achievement Award. Southern Arts Lifetime Achievement Award. Mm-hmm. They said Morgan Freeman, mm-hmm. who I love, mm-hmm. got up there and made a pretty lengthy, awesome speech. But what did Portis say when, what did he say when he got up there? I wish I would have written it down. I, did uh, not. I wrote it down. Oh, good. He said, um, well, let me scroll back up here. He said something to the effect of, uh, deserved or not, thank you very much. He mm-hmm. thanked. He said a few name, mm-hmm. uh, names. He thanked a few people, and he went and sat down. Yeah. And he just what got me. <laughs> I, I didn't see what Morgan Freeman had on. I assume he probably had on oh, a black tie. Oh, that's funny. You're going to mention this because I was just getting ready to say I you're going to talk about this. what he had. You're going to yes, talk about what, what he, he wore. was wearing. Mm-hmm. Now you got to understand in this video, mm-hmm. these are like to me they look like very cultured Southern elite. They look like you're, you know, you're, everybody probably had on tuxedos. Yes, and, it looked like a black tie affair. Mm-hmm. And they even didn't know if he would show up. And the guy who I guess uh, was over the whole committee or whatever he said we just said hey if he doesn't show up it'll be another great Charles Portis story Mm -hmm. but he did show up I want you to discuss what he had on well I don't know about you but to me it looked like he had on a white shirt with old man pants on and like a members only jacket (laughs) I'm like oh my gosh this is like one of the world's greatest writers or certainly one of America's greatest writers Uh at a black tie affair Uh he's like an older man yes it looked like he had on a members only jacket (laughs) And old man polyester pants, maybe. And we're not making fun of them. No, no. This is cool. It was very cool. It just shows I don't give Mm -hmm. a flip. Right. I mean, I don't think he's that type of guy. I'm not saying he's like, I don't give a flip, look how I'm dressed. I think that was just his his fabric. Yes. You know, who he really is. He's just humble. I think he's he's just very unassuming, very humble. So that right there is another indication that he really doesn't care about the fame and the the self-exploitation that so many people aspire. Yes, and that's why he's one of my new favorite authors, not just because of these uh, true grit, which I absolutely love, Mm -hmm. But and I'm going to try to read his other books, but just because he is so humble and unassuming, and he's not caught in the trappings of fame and success and who you know, and I love that about Mm -hmm. him. Yeah. Okay, I know it's worth this is taking a while, but we are going to go ahead and go to the book. So let's start with the title, True Grit. Now, obviously, when I first started reading uh, the book, I thought, okay, well, True Grit, you know, she says she's looking for someone with True Grit to help hunt down the and avenge the killer of her father. Well, mm-hmm. my first thought was, okay, well, Rooster Cogburn is the one that has True Grit, but mm-hmm. who do you think that the title is referring to? Well, you know, same exact thing. You know, to me, the whole book was about Rooster Cogburn having true grit and then I think it was you that said you know that Maddie's really got grit and Mm -hmm. I thought wait a minute you know he to me when he named the book true grit it was kind of a there was like a little hidden meaning there I think I think he was also 
It's up for refer- interpretation. Yes, he was also referring to Maddie, who had true grit. I agree. And I'm going to read the meaning of grit. There are mm-hmm. several definitions out there, but this was my favorite. Grit is bravery, courage, and determination despite difficulty. Hmm. Well, if you apply that to Maddie... Mm-hmm. That's every one of those are her. So I'll, now I wonder: Do you think that was kind of that he kind of misled us to think it was Rooster Cogburn, but really mm. he was thinking that it was really kind of a you know what, he's he's such really a for Maddie? he's such a great author. We we can't say no. I mean, yeah, we'll say yeah. He, that, okay, yeah, he, he yeah he, he kind of tricks us yeah. into thinking it's Rooster, but really it may be more about Maddie. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that would be cool if that's true. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a quote from Newsweek. It says, "True Grit is one of the great American novels with two of the greatest characters in our literature and a story worthy of their greatness." Mm-hmm. I thought that was kind of sad that it just said Aww. two of the greatest characters. Obviously, they're talking about. Maddie and Rooster. Yeah, they're not mm-hmm. talking about Labeef. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, he was Labeef. a he was a great character though. I thought he was a great yeah, character yeah. <laughs> too, and I'll never forget Labeef. Yeah. Um, and by the way, you know, in the book, his name is spelled like L. What is it? L a b o e u f. Yeah, it sounds French. It sounds French. It looks like it would be pronounced Labeef or something. But I did read one commentary, and they said they think that. They mispronounced his name as uh, Labeef, kind of as a poke of, to poke fun at him because he's from Texas. Because he's a Texan so and they're know. associated with cattle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if that's true or not. But mm-hmm. okay, we're going to talk. Usually, we don't break down every single character, but we are going to look at the three key characters of the book. And Maddie Ross, what did you think about Maddie? Oh gosh, she's not like any fourteen-year-old girl I know. Uh, I mean, me either. Yeah. I mean, how many girls do we know today that would even come near to doing what she did? She, her father is killed. Um, she sets out to avenge her father's killer. Mm-hmm. She goes on her own, you mm-hmm. know, to find a, a U.S. marshal. Yeah, it seems very unbelievable, but that's what yeah. the first paragraph <laughs> of the book says. Most yeah. people would think it's unbelievable, but it wasn't yeah. so rare at that time. Yeah. Or maybe. You know, she goes and gets her dad's possessions, and one of his possessions is a gun that's so big she can barely hold it. Right. And that's what she sets out with is this gun. And she's, and I think, uh, I think the book even says she that's her goal is she's going to find him and she's going to make him pay. As a matter of fact, she said something about she hopes he roast in hell or mm-hmm. something like that. I mean, she, she wants Which him dead. Which is funny because, um, you know, she's the Christian in the book. Oh, and she's true. kind of the civilizing force, is one quote I read. Mm-hmm. Like, she kind of brings, uh, helps civilize Rooster and Labeef a little bit. But, but yeah, apparently she has more of an eye for an eye theology here mm-hmm. than forgiveness. But I agree. I just think, how many 14-year-olds do you know? But I love the fact that he made, he made the heroine, the key character, mm-hmm. a female. I can't yeah. think of any uh, westerns off the top yeah. I'm sure they're out there but off the top of my head I can't think of any westerns where a female is the um, hero the heroine I can't either but I just love how she no matter what she would not give up no one would take her seriously you know, no. they looked at her as a young girl mm-hmm. but no matter what they did they couldn't shake her you yes. know they even tried to you know they, they tried to leave without her cross the Arkansas River but she goes ahead and just plunges into the river right. with her horse swims across the other side mm-hmm. then they try to leave her over in Oklahoma and I'm, I may be going ahead here but or they try yeah. to leave yeah. her in Arkansas. And, yeah. well, well, I mean, even when they get to the other oh, side, you're right, you're right. Uh, you know, she stays behind for a ways, and then they try to ambush her. And mm-hmm. anyway, you may yeah. No may matter get into what that, she goes through, she doesn't give up. And mm-hmm. once again, I think that's why the title is truly referring to her mm-hmm. and not Rooster Cogburn. To me, she showed more grit than anybody. Yeah. 
She did. Well, I take that back. Uh, I don't know. Did ride, I, he did ride little Blackie until he broke down. Yeah. And then he carried her. And he had to go into the cave and save her. Oh, I, I just I feel like it was both okay, of them. Okay, maybe it's a tie. Maybe it does refer to both of them. And actually, Labeef, he showed a yes. lot of True Grit. Yes, he did. So maybe True Grit refers to all three characters. Mm -hmm. It's a book we'll about We'll never grit. know. <laughs> we will never know. Yeah. Okay. What? Now, now this is uh, interesting. We're going to go on to Rooster Cogburn, but I did do some research. There is someone in Arkansas. Well, I don't know if they're in Arkansas, but it's not too far. I can't remember what state they're in, but they claim that that he's based on their great grandfather, whose name was Rooster Cogburn. Oh, you're kidding. Uh, mm -mm. Oh. It's very interesting. And then other people say no, he was based on a one-eyed marshal named Heck Thomas. Heck hmm. Thomas is a real famous U.S. marshal that supposedly brought in some of the toughest criminals ever off the frontier. Mm -hmm. Joy, I don't know if you were going to mention this or not. Mm -hmm. Sorry to butt in, oh, but we need to mention that Fort Smith is the home of the U.S. Marshals Museum. Oh, I forgot. Is it finished? Yeah. They've been building it for They've a while They've been building now. it for a while, and there was this big campaign that uh, there was at the time that the they did not know where the U.S. Marshals Museum was going to be built. Right. So there were there were cities all throughout the United States who campaigned or lobbied for it. Mm -hmm. Fort Smith being one of them. Well, Fort Smith beat out all these other cities, and so right. now 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 Fort Smith is the home. And it no, mm -hmm. it, due to COVID, it's not been opened. Okay. But I read an article a few weeks ago, and I believe I'm not positive, but I believe they said they were opening up sometime. In early 2021. Okay, I'm excited. I can't wait yeah. to see it. And what's cool is it's located right on the banks of the Arkansas yeah. River. And not too far from Judge Parker's courtroom. Yeah. Only a few miles from Judge Parker's courtroom. And, the and I hate gallows. to be a Debbie Downer, but I do not like the architecture. It looks very uh, modern. I'm like, just keep it with the Western It's supposed to be theme. shaped like a star. Oh, did you know that? No, I did okay, not. Because okay, because I said the same thing. My husband and I drove by just to mm -hmm. kind of look at the, see how the progress was coming this has been several months ago and I said oh I don't like it it looks really weird and funky it's modern this is supposed to be about the old west yes and Jeff my husband said well you do know it's supposed to be in the shape of a star like a, oh, a marshal's badge and I then don't like I, know, I know me <laughs> either and I said well I wish they wouldn't have done that because sorry yeah. I, if you're going to a U.S. Marshals Museum I want to look old and rustic that's I how to I look am like a, I'm just very sentimental about things and, and hard-headed so but I'm still going to go and check it oh, out oh yeah I can't, I can't wait for it to open. Well, back to Rooster. Um, uh, supposedly someone asked Charles Portis, well, who is he based on? And he said he was based... Uh, supposedly Charles Portis said he's a, based on a combination of men. Uh, he has... But I love Rooster because like, we've already talked about him quite a bit. But he has a lot of flaws, but you still love him. Mm -hmm. Let's yeah. go to Labeef. <laughs> so I like Labeef. <laughs> I, I thought he was funny. Um, and like I said a while ago, I don't even, it looks like it should be, here it is, L-A-B-E-O-U-F. Okay. But, but in the movie, they pronounced it Labeef. And in the book, they said they pronounced it Labeef. Okay, I liked Labeef's character because he was so funny. Yes. And he was just so by the book. And he's yes. a Texas Ranger. <laughs> and what's funny is that, so I watched the newer version of uh, True Grit, the one with Jeff Bridges uh -huh. and Matt Damon. Yes. And so... When as soon as I saw Matt Damon was cast to play Labeef, now hold on, uh -huh. we're about to get to all this. Oh, okay, so, yeah, okay. hold okay. on, because we're about to talk about the movies, sure. okay. and then I do want to hear about that. But okay, um, 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm being OCD here. I want to talk about the the oldest movie to the newest. Oh, I understand. So I'm sorry. No. My OCD kicked in. Oh. Um, okay, 1969. This is cool. You know, the book was released in 68, and they already got a movie deal by 1969. That's how popular so it was, this book it was. An, was. It was an instant success. Yes, then. it was an okay. instant bestseller, an instant success, and that's what I was saying a while ago. In the midst of all those other top books, that just kind of blows my mind. Maybe, like you said, it's just a welcome relief from all the yeah. turmoil and... It just goes back to simpler times. I don't know. Okay, but here, did you watch the original John Wayne version of uh, True Grit? I've seen the original, but it's been years ago. And then I watched the the most recent version uh, about a week ago. Okay. Did you know what? Did you notice the landscape and kind of the setting? Did you happen to notice It's anything? been so long since I saw that original, okay. but I have heard people complain that the landscape was not true to what the land okay. to what the landscape is in this area. <laughs> like like, like a, maybe they up. said something about there were mountains and there's really not any yes. mountains in this area. No. Okay, so what I read was they did <laughs> scout out, you know, the Fort Smith area cuz you know, I'm thinking, well, why didn't they just use the courthouse and the gallows? I mean, everything's oh, authentic yeah. and original and it's really cool. And they said something about logistics. <laughs> it wasn't going to work out. They end up, and Colorado's beautiful, don't get me wrong, but they end up filming this in Colorado, and Colorado oh. looks nothing like Arkansas. In Arkansas's Oklahoma. beautiful, but mm -hmm. in a different way right. than Colorado. So you can see, in one scene, they said you can actually see the Rocky Mountains in the background. You're, okay, I mean, we and, do, I guess we should mention with, that we do have mountains in Arkansas, yes. but in the area that is portrayed in the book, there, no, there's yes. no mountains We have like the Ozark like Mountains and the Washita yeah. yeah. Mountains, but yeah. But in this area and in the Oklahoma Territory, it's it, there's some hills yeah. and stuff, but not so much. Well, just really bugs me at the courthouse and I guess I'm being petty here but it really bugged me like at the scene at the gallows and you can look and see all these hills in the background oh, and yeah. it looked nothing like it really does but anyway um, they did get um, so of course John Wayne uh, did win the Oscar for his role as Rooster Cogburn and to me no one else could have played Rooster Cogburn at that point in time the Duke. The Duke. I mean, it just seems like he was born for that role. I do love John Wayne. Yeah, uh, no, you're right. I mean, no one else could play him I don't except think John so Wayne. Either. And they said um, John Wayne, uh, he had been in the movies around 30 or 35 years at this point. Oh, And so he, he had never older. won an Oscar. And a lot of people feel like really this performance, he didn't really win the Oscar because of this specific performance, mm -hmm. but kind of as accumulation. It was kind of like a nod to mm -hmm. him, like, here's your award for all your years of work. But anyway, I'm just going to play real quick. This is right. This is on YouTube, and they just announced that John Wayne got Best Actor, and they're applauding, and I'm just going to play his response real quick. Okay, I don't know if you could hear that very well, but he said, if I'd have known that, I'd have put that patch on 35 years earlier. That's they funny. said at the beginning of the filming, he did not want to wear the eye patch, but they finally convinced him to wear it, and they just said it added a whole new dimension to his character once he put that eye patch on. Do you know in the on. book, he did not wear a patch, did he? I mean, they just... Yeah. 
Oh, well, they just kept mentioning that you could see that his eye was half open and that you could see the whites under there. So that's why I thought he didn't. Oh, maybe I need to go back and read oh, again. I just I, I was just they... under the impression that he didn't wear one. But oh. I, I, now, I may be wrong. I just I just remember her one time she was mentioning that you could see his eye was half open and you could see okay. the whites underneath it. Okay, I'll have to go back and reread. Yeah. I just kind of assumed, yeah, that he always had the patch on, but I don't know. Because think how difficult that would be to make a character have just partially yeah. dry. So that's probably why they had to do the patch. That would be fascinating. Yeah. If he really did not have a patch on in the book, okay. Well, okay. hey, anyway. <laughs> who knows? I'll have to go look that yeah. up. But now I'm questioning. Now I'm wondering myself. I know. Glenn Campbell played Labeef in the uh, original movie, and here's another connection. <laughs> Glenn Campbell's also a fellow Arkansan, mm. and they said John Wayne hated, or not him. It was the director Henry Hathaway. They said they hated his performance, but they <laughs> had to have him to get the title song, oh. which was also <laughs> nominated for an Oscar. Really? And really. I, like, I mean, I love Glenn Campbell. I like his music. But, yeah, I agree. Like, just watching that movie, it was pretty painful watching him. <laughs> Matter of fact, I forwarded a lot through the original just because of his performance. And it just Aww. seemed like it kind of drug on. But I love John Wayne's performance. I thought it was worthy of an Oscar. Hmm. Okay, so we're going to go on... Uh, to the newer uh, movie, we've both seen the newer version of True Grit, right? Mm -hmm. What did you think about Jeff Bridges as Rooster Cogburn? Oh my gosh! <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> oh no! It, his his speech is so bad. He slurs his words so bad, and I thought. Is because it, he was supposed to be playing a drunk guy. I understand that, but you have to be able to understand what he's saying. It's a movie, for goodness <laughs> sakes. So finally, I went back and put subtitles on. And I was like, I can't understand. I mean, I'm from Arkansas. I usually can understand this stuff. <laughs> I'm from Arkansas. We can't understand this guy. Exactly. We've got problems. <laughs> exactly. I so I put the subtitles on, and I could not quit laughing because he's like, well, <laughs> Get over here and get, get me some whiskey or whatever it was he was oh saying. My I mean, and and I kept thinking, is this is he overacting? Is he uh, to me? It was like okay. I get it. You know, we, we I see what you're trying to do, but to me, it was just overkill. I'm okay. sorry. Okay, well, I'm going to have to disagree with you because I what? thought... What? Yes. Uh-oh. Twin talk. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. Our, first, our first disagreement Twin on air. trouble. <laughs> I thought he was amazing, and here's why. Yes, he was hard to understand, and yes, I had to put on the subtitles. <laughs> okay, so, so tell me more. <laughs> That is it. Me, I had to put all this stuff down too. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I hope we can edit this out. <laughs> but here's the deal. <laughs> I said, I, I, need, I need to tell the listeners you only had three hours of sleep. That's part of the problem. Yeah, I've had no sleep. Oh, but here's what makes it so funny. The Cohen brothers, one thing that they remarked about working with him was they said one of the questions he would ask is how much has he had to smoke and how much has he had to drink before each scene, talking, referring to Rooster Cogburn. Oh, like they wanted to be authentic to the yeah, book. Yeah, because he said that oh. affects his voice. And so oh. that's why I thought it was amazing because he, to me, he really sounded like a slurring old drunk guy. <laughs> and he, just, he was so in character. And oh. that's why I couldn't understand him. Oh my goodness! Oh, he was—he was very convincing. <laughs> Did he win uh, any awards for that? And I was thinking, what is he like eighty? <laughs> I know 
Jeff Bridges will never listen to this. <laughs> but Jeff Bridges, uh, this is Joy. And Joy thought you did a good job, and Angie is the one making fun of you. So you can yeah. call me anytime, and we can discuss your performance because yeah. it was awesome. I'm sure he'll be knocking at my door tomorrow, so I'm not too worried about <laughs> yeah. it. Oh, now this is cool. And this is, even though you weren't crazy about his performance, I think you will have to appreciate this. One fact that I read during the research here <laughs> was that John Wayne, you know, in the big, they're in the big field, and he's facing all the outlaws, and he puts uh -huh. the reins in his mouth, and he charges at the bad guys. <laughs> he was actually on a truck. <laughs> and Jeff Bridges actually was on a horse. Okay. We got to get together. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Jeff Bridges was actually on a horse. Okay. And I'm sorry, the Duke is a tough guy, and I love. Okay, the you're Duke. saying that Jeff, they're saying you're saying that Jeff Bridges was on a horse and John Wayne was on a truck during they're that actually, scene. John Wayne was not even on a horse; he was okay. actually in a truck, is what I read in okay. that big epic scene where he faces the Well, my gosh, he was probably 82. Well, he was older, <laughs> and that's what they were saying. But they said Jeff Bridges, and they said, "Do you know how hard that is to do to have the reins in between your teeth and okay. he was having to control the horse with his legs?" Okay. And and he was trying to control that gun, so do you have any more? You like him better now? You have more respect for him? Okay, that, yeah. I, I can't, yeah, I can't deny respect for a man who's that age, has yeah. the reins in his mouth, and he's charging on a horse. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely got some new respect there. <laughs> okay, now I'm the same as you, and I'm sorry I cut her off all ago, mm -hmm. but I knew we were going to be talking about this later. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt Damon, when I saw he mm -hmm. was Lebeef, I was like, what? This yes. kid from Boston? This kid from Boston's going to try to play Lebeef? Oh, my first Come thought on. was, crap, that just ruined the movie. Oh, I, I seriously and thought that. don't get because mm -hmm. I love Matt Damon. He is, like, I love him. There are so many movies that I absolutely love Yeah, I do him. too, but I never pictured him in that role. Yes, but I was like, not as LaBeef. He will never pull this off. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Yeah. Uh, um, do you think he pulled it off? Yes, I do. I do too. I and think he did an amazing job. That's what I was going to say a while ago. I mean, the minute I saw that he was a little beef, you know how you kind of do a double take and you're like, oh, who's playing him? Yes. Oh, and I'm like, oh, what? That's Matt Damon? Oh, no, no. Mm -hmm. Who cast him in this role? And then within 10 minutes, I was like, Gosh, he's got his mannerisms down. I know. Oh, well, he's got his, I mean, everything. He, he. he I mean, of course, he studied the character. Mm -hmm. He wanted, I'm sure he prepared for his role, just like all great actors do. Right. But I was very, very impressed with his portrayal of yes. Levy. I thought he did an excellent job. I do, too. Hats off to you, Matt Damon. Yeah, and he was funny, you know. Yeah. He was very, um, you know, when you mm -hmm. kind of self-debasing. Yes. You know, he, he was really funny in that he was very prideful and that he was a Texas Ranger. Yeah. But at the same time, he kind of also had this a little bit of this self-debasing quality about him. Yes. You may not agree with that, but that's kind of uh, how I view I'd it. have to go back and reread the passages. Because he was very arrogant, but at the same time, you could see a little bit of self-doubt would creep yes. through sometimes. So. Okay, well, right now, we are going to read, uh, I'm going to read a pa favorite passage from the book. and then, or I'll let you go first, but I will say before I read mine... That was one of my favorite things about the book, was this kind of rivalry between Rooster and Maddie against the Texas Ranger. Yes. Because, okay, we have relatives who live in <coughs> Texas, me. and, you know, I love Texas, mm -hmm. uh, but you know how they say everything's bigger and better in Texas, blah, blah, blah. And honestly, if I ever had to move, Texas would be probably be one of my first choices. I, I think it would be a mm -hmm. cool state to live in. But it does seem like the few people I've known from Texas have that mentality of, every, like I said, everything mm -hmm. in Texas is bigger 
bigger and better. Everything's better than Arkansas. So there is kind of this rivalry. So that's why I loved how they, they were just some of the yes. passages of rivalry between you know the you've got this u.s deputy marshal and this girl from arkansas kind of trading wits with this uh texas mm -hmm. ranger and that's the passage on well actually and, i'll just go ahead and read it so i'll talk okay. about it and, and maddie's always very high on, you know she's always talking about the good people of arkansas oh yeah you know, oh it, yeah it, and one other thing i want to mention and I, thought, I thought this was a really uh, genius uh, comic thread throughout the book every time maddie was in <coughs> thought she was going to get in trouble or she's in some sort of trouble I'm going to sick my lawyer daggett up from Dardanelle, Arkansas on you. And mm -hmm. I just thought that was funny how she would pull, she almost pulled him out like a gun, you know. That yeah. was her weapon of choice. Lawyer uh, daggett. Yes, I thought Darnell. that was so funny because I feel like people still do that today. Like, oh, yeah. That, but she, anytime she was in a scrape or she was upset, she would always mention lawyer daggett, how she yes. had him on her side and that he was either there to defend you or prosecute you. And you honestly, know? at the beginning of the book, I thought, oh, she's just making this guy up. But mm -hmm. he really was he, real. he was a real person, yeah. Okay, so this is one of my... Uh, there are many funny exchanges between Rooster and Labeef, but this one I thought was really funny. So Labeef was rubbing down his shaggy pony. He said, You are lucky to be traveling in a place where a spring is so handy. In my country, you can ride for days and see no groundwater. I have lapped filthy water from a hoof print and was glad to have it. You don't know what discomfort is until you have nearly perished for water. Rooster said... If I ever meet one of you Texas waddies that says he never drank from a horse track, I think I will shake his hand and give him a Daniel Webster cigar. <laughs> then you don't believe it? asked Labeef. I believed it the first 25 times I heard it. <laughs> Maybe he did drink from one, said I. He is a Texas Ranger. Is that what he is? said Rooster. Well, now I can believe that. <laughs> so yeah. I just thought that was so funny. Yeah. Um, okay, what did you pick? Well, you know, you and I talked about our favorite passages. We mm -hmm. always do beforehand because we always know most of the time we pick the same passage. And of course, yeah. I was going to read that passage because it was absolutely, that's the that, best passage of the whole book. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Oh, about lapping from that, that horse, you know, that that uh, horse print. Yeah, and how you believed it the first 25 times you Yeah, it. it was so funny. Now, I guess I need to kind of set the scene up here for the passage I'm going to read. So at one point in the book, um, they've got these two outlaws cornered in a shack mm -hmm. and you know and rooster has he has uh, shot one of them so he's injured he's not you know it's not lethal at this point but he well they think he might be dying and bleeding out or right. something like that so i'll start now okay moon drank whiskey and whimpered from the pain in his leg i felt sorry for him once he caught me stealing glances glances at him and he said what are you looking at it was a foolish question, and I made no reply. He said, Who are you? What are you doing here? What is this girl doing here? I said, I am Maddie Ross of Dardanelle, Arkansas. Now I will ask you a question. What made you become a stock thief? He said again, What is this girl doing here? Rooster said, She's with me. She is with both of us, said Labeef. Moon said, It don't look right to me. I don't understand it. I said, the man Cheney, the man with the marked face, killed my father. He was a whiskey drinker like you. It led to killing in the end. If you will answer the marshal's questions, he will help you. I have a good lawyer at home, and he will help you too. I am puzzled by this, Quincy said. Don't get to join with these people, Moon. I said, I don't like the way you look. Quincy stopped his work. He said, are you talking to me, runt? I said, yes. 
and I will say it again. I don't like the way you look, and I don't like the way you're cutting up that turkey. I hope you go to jail. My lawyer will not help you. Quincy grinned and made a gesture with the knife as though to cut me. He said, you are a fine one to talk about looks. You look like somebody has worked you over with an ugly stick. <laughs> right there is a good example mm -hmm. of just how well he used dialogue in the book and just mm -hmm. how rich the language is and how funny she is. She's just so frank and forward and she doesn't yeah. hold back and, and, and in she's that so one, sure of herself. In that one passage, if you notice, she mentioned that she had a good lawyer that could yes. help him. And then when they kind of got in a little tiff, it was like, my lawyer's not going to help yeah. you. Oh, yeah. And as soon as things don't go her way and he says something mean to her, oh, he's not going to help you after yeah. all. Okay, so wrapping things up a little bit, what is it that makes I we both obviously we both think this is an awesome book but what is it do you think that makes this book so good well well for one thing it's not uh it's not a true book you know it's 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 fiction mm -hmm. but in my mind that conceivably could happen even though some of it's a little far-fetched you know I will say this though mm -hmm. in my research Mm -hmm. The story about how her dad got killed, mm -hmm. that's based on a true story. Oh. Not the girl coming to avenge his death, okay. but how he was in Fort Smith and the mm -hmm. other guy was playing cards. That's yeah, based on a so true story. That's... Falling into the snake pit is based on a true story. Oh. The Ned Pepper, he's based on a real character. A lot of these characters and stories are true, but he just interwove okay. them onto one big kind of fictional story. Okay, so that that's that's what I felt like as I was reading the book. I felt like there were a lot of elements that felt real to me. Yes, like I felt like yes, this could all this all could conceivably happen. Yes. And then, but then you throw in these characters, mm -hmm. these larger than life characters, and it's just entertaining to me. And I mm -hmm. love the humor in the book. That's 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 what that's what would make me read the book again. It's just to go okay. back and reread some of the humorous moments in it. Me too. I just think it's th they say two of the great literary characters, but I would say three. I love Labeef. Mm -hmm. So I would say memorable characters that I don't want to say goodbye to and don't and won't ever forget. The dialogue, just the rich language of that day and time, it just is just, I loved it. Okay, so that leads uh, into we're going to rate the book. Okay. And yes, you have to be a rocket scientist to figure out the rating system this time. You want to take oh, a guess? Oh, I wish I'd have thought about it before we started this. <laughs> um, see, True Grit. <clears throat> Was it something to do with those biscuits they were shooting up there? In <laughs> it's going to be pretty obvious once oh, you hear okay. it. Okay. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Okay. How many roosters do you give oh, this book? <laughs> okay. Um, I'm going to have to give it five roosters. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm going to give it five roosters because yeah. I absolutely love the book and I just yeah. cannot believe. I have never read this book until now. I know. I, I know. Thank you, Brett, for yes, thank you, Brett, uh, recommending for the, the suggestion. Mm -hmm. Recommending something that should have been just very obvious mm -hmm. to us, but mm -hmm. it wasn't. Yeah. All right. I just have six trivia questions for you. In True Grit, what was Rooster's real name? Oh, you're kidding me. Brenda, they said it. I, I, I do not remember. It's Reuben. Oh, Reuben. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Zero for one. Oh. Judge Parker, a.k.a. the Hanging Judge, believed in capital punishment. True or false? True. False. What? Oh, that was a trick question. No, I could not believe this when I read it. It said, huh. even though he, I think he was known, you know, he was known as the Hanging Judge, and I think, mm -hmm. was it like 85 men under him were put to death? 
It was it was either sixty five or eighty five, but it, it was, it was he, he sentenced twice that many, but there were at least it was between sixty and eighty that actually hung. Okay. Well, here was the deal though. Back then, they said he had to follow the law, and if someone was accused of rape or murder, the only punishment you could hand out was hanging until dead by the neck. Like okay. there was no other option. So he was. So if they were found guilty, that was the yes. letter of the law. He decided so to follow it. So even though he didn't believe in capital punishment, he still said he had to follow the law, and I that's see. why they were condemned to death by hanging. Okay, that makes so sense. So you're zero for two. Hmm. <laughs> Come on, you got any easy ones? <laughs> okay, I think you may know this one. He was the first black deputy U.S. Marshal west of the Mississippi, and he was credited with arresting more than 3,000 felons. He shot and killed 14 people in self-defense. Joy! And there's a statue of him downtown Fort they Smith, just, and it is so cool. They just erected a statue of him. I've heard his name at least 100 I'm times. I'm going to give you his initials, and the first name is a type of fish. <laughs> I know, it's, a, it's an unusual name. I'm trying to... Mm -hmm. A type of fish. A big mouth... Oh, Bass Reeves. Very good. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Bass Reeves. There's a statue of him downtown mm -hmm. Fort Smith near the Yeah, courthouse. it's very cool. Isn't yeah. it him and a dog? I think so. Mm -hmm. I have to tell this yeah. story. Mm -hmm. So, one story I read about Bass Reeves, and he's not in the book, but he was one of the U a very famous U.S. Deputy Marshal, and many people are wanting a movie to be made about him. But anyway... Uh, one story I read, they said that everyone he shot and killed, it was in self-defense, with the exception of one man. And the story goes that a little puppy dog had been following Bass Reeves around while he was working. And he trained the little puppy to stand on its little hind legs and ask for food. Aww. And so one day, he said they were all, you know, I don't know, they are out on the trail somewhere, and there was a, a camp cook. And they said Bass Reeves was cleaning his gun. And the, the little puppy went to the cook and got on his little hind legs. Brace yourself because this is oh, sad. Oh, great. They said that the cook poured <laughs> boiling hot grease down the little puppy's throat. And what? He, yes, and that the puppy, I know this is so hard to tell, but Aww. they said that the little puppy died a really long, agonizing death. And here's now that's just cruel. But here's the part. Mm -hmm. They said supposedly Bass Reeves' gun accidentally went off and killed the cook as he was cleaning the gun. Mm -hmm. But obviously, yeah. you can see the connection. Yeah. So many people. Now, this is just a story I yeah. read on the internet. Mm -hmm. I don't know how valid it is, but if mm -hmm. that's true, they think that's the only time he really ever shot someone not in self-defense was when he saw how that cook treated that little puppy. Well, I'm sorry <laughs> if I saw something like that. It would be hard to, to restrain myself. I think I myself. might at least have to shoot the kneecap. Yeah. Yeah. That's just. If <laughs> so that's true. That's yeah, awful. so if any of our listeners know mm. if that story has any credibility, or mm. I hate to tell a story Greatest. if it's not true, but that's just what I read, that the one exception of all his kills was that. But he was found, in, he did go to court, what they said, but he was found innocent, and they said, mm. no, it was an accident. Okay. Hmm. Okay, um, which of the following were not considered for the part of Matty Ross in the original True Grit movie? Was it Mia Farrow, Karen Carpenter? Sally Field or Audrey Hepburn? Dang, that's a, quite a I list there. I know this there. is kind of a hard one, but all of these women were considered for the part except for one. Hmm. Mia Farrow, Karen Carpenter, Sally Field, and Audrey Hepburn. 
I mean, I'm just going to go with Karen Carpenter because she was a singer. Well, that's funny you said that because mm-hmm. I said John Wayne saw her in a talent show and mm-hmm. he really liked her and he suggested her and they said, no, she doesn't have any acting experience. Oh. So actually it was Audrey Hepburn. Oh, okay. All the others were considered and either okay. turned down the part or weren't able to do it because they had other obligations. Okay. How okay. old was Kim Darby when she played the role of Maddie Ross? Oh, no multiple choice? No. Oh, okay. So, she's supposed to be a 14-year-old girl. I can give you multiple uh, choice. Nah, I'm going to guess she was 18. Okay, she was actually 21. Oh. And she had already wow. had a baby. Oh. When I read that, I was in disbelief. She looks mm-hmm. like a little bitty girl. Yeah. So, I know a lot of actors are older that play younger parts, but yeah. that's that's crazy. Last one. This superstar was considered for the role of LaBeef by his manager, Colonel Tom Parker, Demanded, <laughs> there's your big hint, yeah. demanded equal billing with John Wayne. Oh, so Elvis. Yes, wow. they said Elvis really wanted to play the part. They really, I think they even said John Wayne really wanted Elvis in the part of LaBeef, but not Elvis, but his manager said, okay, well, we want equal billing. They're like, hello, this is the Duke. He's not getting oh, equal billing. I'm sorry, but I'm glad <laughs> they didn't. And, and no disrespect, I love Elvis. I but I, well, I didn't like Glenn Campbell yeah, in it, but yeah. I don't know that Elvis would have been much better. I don't know. Now, now you know, uh, maybe I should take that back. Maybe if he actually had a, you know, it's a good script and it made a good director, so he might right. have done, he might have done fine. Well, everything I've read, that uh, the reason Elvis didn't get more good roles, every single time it was Tom Parker yeah. shooting it down. Yeah. So he really was not Yeah, the I was just going to say, so really I shouldn't have said that because <laughs> because it was a good st- script, and so he, he might, that might have been his once-in-a-lifetime role that he didn't get. Yeah. That's what they were saying. Yeah, that was one sad. of the bigger roles that he prop mm. he could have probably Aww. been okay. Yeah, that's kind of sad to think about that. Mm. Well, um, that's all I had. I okay. guess we're going to start wrapping it up. Yeah. I would just say in a review, we both love the book. It's definitely, in my opinion, one of the great American novels, one of the greatest American novels ever written. Mm-hmm. Uh, the characters <clears throat> and the story are unforgettable, and we highly recommend it. Yeah. Uh, did you have anything you want to add? There was one quote that I read in, in the prologue of True Grit, mm-hmm. and they said it was a re- very common saying back in the day. They would say, there is no law west of St. Louis, Missouri, and there's no God west of Fort Smith, Arkansas. Ooh, I missed that. Yeah, so. I like that, though. Yeah. Uh, and if you do happen to read the audible version of uh, True Grit, the lady, I can't think of her name, but she did a, a wonderful job. Oh, yeah, she did. And she actually wrote an essay about True Grit, and mm-hmm. I thought it was really good. Yes, so I would yeah. recommend listening to that. I, um, if you really want to, yes, if you want to listen to it on Audible, I highly recommend that. She gave so much life to Maddie. Yes. She, she was a great voice. Her Arkansas accent was... <laughs> Right on. She was spot on. Yeah. I think yeah. one of us, they should have asked one of us to I read know. the part for Maddie because we, <clears throat> hello. Yeah, we wouldn't laugh through it or anything. No. No. So. no. Um, I guess we need to mention next week I'll be leading the podcast mm-hmm. and we're going to be doing a Nancy Drew book. Uh, and no, I thought we were doing the Western. Oh, that's uh, right. Okay, I'm sorry. We, we had a last-minute change before yeah. the podcast. I forgot uh, about that. What's the name of the play? Um, we're, yeah, we were actually thinking about... Um, Western doing, District. Yeah, we're, doing, yeah. we're thinking about doing a podcast called The Western District. and so Because it's a tie-in to True Grit. Yeah, so it's a play that's been written about the history of Fort Smith before Judge Parker came. And it mm-hmm. was uh, very, very corrupt uh there was a corrupt mayor. Uh, everybody in town was corrupt. And it's kind of interesting just to hear it, what happened. It, the, all these 
activities and goings on that happened that forced the federal government to send right. in and Isaac that's what Parker. you're going to really get into in the yeah. next podcast, right? Yeah, and our It'll friend Brett, the one that actually you know suggested suggested we read, we read this. this, he actually was in the play called The Western District, and the writer of The Western District has made a documentary. He's turned the play into a documentary, right. and they're hoping to get it on Netflix or some major yeah. venue like that. So that's it, exciting. Yeah, so yeah. we're hoping and to. We're going to have him on. Yeah, next he, week, he doesn't right? know it yet, but yeah. No, he, I asked him, and he said oh. sure. Yeah, I've already asked him, and he said sure, oh, okay. no problem. Okay. So yeah, we're going to have him on next week, mm-hmm. and I think it's going to be really interesting hearing about the play mm-hmm. and this documentary. Supposedly, this director um, has like four or five Academy Awards. Yeah, for yeah, directing or whatever. So yeah. that's exciting. Yeah, so I'm I don't I know nothing about it. So it's going to be mm-hmm. really interesting to uh, interview Brett and learn about it. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, well, I think that's everything. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time on Twin Twin Talk. Talk.